when you give that to somebody and they take hold of that with both hands and they run. We have women that feel that they had lost dignity because of the tragedies that they had faced, now feeling like they now have dignity again. They're now the high income earner in their family. Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. My guest you. today on Talk Thank Design you for listening. is James Bartle. James is the CEO of Outland Denim. Now, James has a really fascinating story and one that is a, a world-changing type story. This is one of those ones where he thinks big and acts big on what he does. Um from motorcycle riding to denim as a way of changing the world. James, welcome. And <laughs> so good to have you here, man. Um, I find your story absolutely intriguing and selfless and a passion. Like this is what I love. It's when people are creative and they're passionate enough that they just take a view of the world that says, I will not be stopped. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to ch- change it for others. Um, so would you like to start out by just telling us a little bit of your background, a little bit of your story with that? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Adrian. I'm stoked that I could uh, could be here with you today. Um, yeah, my story is is uh, maybe a little bit different in that I, um, I was chasing a career as a motocross rider originally and eventually ended up as a freestyle motocross rider, a little bit easier path um, than the racing and um, I was, um, you know, chasing, chasing that, that was the dream. And, you know, it was really all, all I thought about. Um, but I went to the movies with my wife one night and I watched the Liam Neeson film Taken. And um, I remember that. Yeah. And for those of, for those of you that, um, you know, maybe haven't seen the film, you know, Liam Neeson is the, um, is the hero of the story and his daughter and friend were abducted while traveling through, uh, Europe, um, and sold into the sex industry. And, um, although a fictional film, I was rattled because at the end of the film, some um, text came up that said that these things actually do happen around the world. I just couldn't believe it. I, I was just just in disbelief that that was a reality. Um, I was so naive. And over the next couple of years, my wife, being a journalist, researched this, this issue. And as she just fed this information to me, it just did something to me. And till eventually I was performing at a um, freestyle motocross show. And there was a rescue agency that was there looking for supporters and ambassadors. And um, they offered uh, if I wanted to come and see what they did. And they specialized in the identification and rescue of young ladies that had been sold into the sex industry. And so I took them up on the offer and um, traveled into Southeast Asia and landed in Thailand. And, um, you know, we drove about, I think it was around two hours out of the city and ended up at this place called Walking Street in Pattaya. And they told me it was the sex capital of the world. And, you know, you, you, you don't forget you're walking down these these streets and it's busy and it's hot and it's like there's your senses are going mad and it kind of feels a bit yeah. heavy and a little bit dirty, but everyone's sort of smiling. And so you think, well, maybe this isn't so bad and it doesn't really impact you like you expect it to. And mm. so I walked out the end of the street with the um, rescue agency's representative and we came to this this small establishment and there was this line of girls and one of them was just, she was a young girl. She can't be more than 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, I'll never forget looking at her and just seeing how scared she was and intimidated she was to be there. And I asked wow. the representative, well, what's with this girl? She looks like she's a kid. And he said, she she is. And I said, well, what can we do for her? You know, you want to you run in there and, and 
and, and do the Liam Neeson thing and, you know, kick doors. Shoot everybody, and, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he said, James, if you look around, you'll see that these young girls are everywhere. And, you know, I, said, I, I left that night just, just knowing that that little girl's life probably changed forever. It appeared like it was her first night. She was so scared. And um, it, was a, it was a life-changing moment that, that I've not looked back on since. Um, I, I decided right there and then that I, was, I wanted to be a part of the solution. And as I learned more about this issue, I knew that it was an economic problem that we were addressing here, that this wasn't just the one girl. It wasn't just rescuing these young ladies out of these situations. Um, we needed to get to them before they were taken into these situations to give them the opportunity to, if they've been stolen and sold or abused and exploited, give them the opportunity to rebuild their lives, equip them with everything they need to be successful. And that was the dream and uh, that was 10 years ago and we've been building wow. on that ever since. You said you, said you realised it was an economic problem. Yeah. How, what, what gave you that insight? Well, I guess you look at it and, and you start to um, – you start talking to the the NGOs, the non-government organisations that specialise in this, and they keep talking about you know that um, these these young ladies have been tricked into thinking that they're going to get a job at a um, at a hotel, changing sheets on beds, and end up in a brothel, or um, tricked into these situations. And they're tricked into these situations where they take these risks because. They're poor. Um, their families can't afford to educate them. Their families can't afford to feed them in many situations. And there's so many horror stories that I could talk about here, but it, it, it always came back to more often than not anyhow, um, it was a poor family. That, it was finance. Um, yeah, yeah, it was money. And it was not their fault. They're born into a country which is poorer, you know. And and when yeah. you see that and you see that, you know, we have the ability to solve these problems with the wealth we have in our countries, I guess it sparked the entrepreneurial, you know, um, spirit in you. That went, <laughs> you know, like what we need to do is we need to connect the, the money of the wealthy to the poor. And what if we can do yep. that in a way where nobody is sacrificing anything? What if we can do that in a way where actually everybody wins? And that was that was the goal and that was the idea and um, that led us on this journey of like discovering just how um, powerful consumerism is and how I believe that business is the answer to many of the world's problems that we have today. And, um, you know, we've seen the proof now. We've seen that business changes lives. Well, it certainly does. It allows for education. Um, I mean, business will change it for better or worse, but good business, good business and profitable business means that it allows people to have education. It means it allows them to lift up other people. And I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. Entrepreneurship will change the world. It does wherever it exists. Um, even when you get into, you know, like Africa, India, you know, parts of Asia and stuff, if you can start to generate income, that means that those people, will, the first thing they'll do is send their kids to school because they mm. don't want them to have the same lives as they've mm. had. It, yeah. It's just a, it just shifts everything. It's, it, it's yeah. And, and great entrepreneurship when it becomes social entrepreneurship as well has all the right foundations, you know, you layer the foundation in. And, and look, talking to you, you're probably one of the few people that I've ever talked to, and I've been around too long, 
Um, but <laughs> one of the few people who actually started out with that as the purpose. Most people discover it somewhere that, that are involved. They discover it. But very few, I think, actually go, I'm going to reverse engineer this thing. There's a social problem to fix. It's an economic one. How do I get this to work here? Um, that's that's way beyond courageous. That's uh, well, naive. You, you're used naive. to leaping around on motorcycles. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Can't be that hard. Yeah. So um, I, I I get that part. So tell me about the reverse engineering. Tell me about that part where you went. Okay, well, what what's going to fit here? That's going to make the difference. Well, you know, uh, I mean, the problem was clear. Um, it was it was that we needed to give employment um, to these people, and we needed a particular kind of employment, which we um, continued to refine over a six year period, which we call our development years before we launched our brand. Um, but if we were able to give that employment, you know, what kind of employment should we be giving? And you know, I mm. I loved denim and. Uh, in my naivety, I figured it couldn't be that hard to enter the premium denim market on a global scale and change thousands of people's lives. You know, that's where my head was at. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make the best jeans in the world. Um, the best gonna... bit is that you haven't lost that vision. No, no, we haven't lost the vision. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and those genes are going to be the thing that, you know, creates the change. And as we discovered, um, you know, very quickly, we'd, we had entered into a, um, a really competitive space. Um, fashion to begin with was hard to crack a new brand, but in particular denim. And then with this, um, you know, ambition of being able to sell in um, other regions outside of Australia, that was a you know, quite a, um, I guess, like I said, we were quite ignorant as to the realities that we were, of what we were embarking upon. But the one thing that we had was the, um, this, this superpower, I call it. And, and, you know, we were fighting for something which was worth fighting for. This wasn't fighting yeah. for wealth. This isn't fighting for fame. This isn't fighting for anything like to, to scratch this itch that I had to be a denim owner. This is fighting for something that is like, I think about our staff and I think about the people who need this and the people we haven't been able to employ. And when I think about those people, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to find a way to be able to overcome whatever that next challenge is that wants to prevent us from being successful. That's a mission, eh? Uh, like, like people say, what gets you out of bed? And, um, you know, for some people it's get for a surf or another person it's to, you know, because they have to. Yeah, um, yeah. To get out of bed for a whole bunch of people you don't even know, yeah, and with a mission to make their life better, to to solve this generation so the next generation doesn't ever see it, mm. man, that's that's beautiful. It's um, that's really living. It is living, and you know, like um, it is hard. It and, it, and it's challenging in ways that I never knew it would be challenging, but but it but it is so gratifying. You know, um, I I have so much motivation because. I just know this is worth fighting for. And so when you talk about competitive advantage, um, I say I have competitive competitive advantage because I'm not going to quit. Like I don't care what you come at us with. We are going to keep going. We're going to keep chipping away until yep. we have the biggest denim brand that is impacting the most most people's lives that we could, could imagine, you know, like that is the dream and 
I believe it's possible. And it may not be just through our brand. It'll be through working with other brands and just Uh proving a model to work. And if you can prove that model to work and other brands adopt it, then what could happen? You know, you think about the scale of what could happen. It'd be revolutionizing the the issue of poverty the it revolutionized the issues that we have around environmental degradation yeah oh, it's amazing as you say like you're not going to stop doing it and what it could change but it also brings skill you know i don't know how many people have got denim in their wardrobe but if it's not everybody they're probably hiding it somewhere so everybody has denim of some kind especially in our western world mm. and that's made by somebody who learns a skill to be an operator. It's not made by a computer. No. It, um, yeah. It's made by a human being that sits at a sewing machine and somebody who cuts it out, and they might cut out a 1,000 pairs at once but they it, or a computer might cut those, but they're still putting that together. Every pair that you put mm. on, somebody else has handled, more than one person has handled. It's yeah. been handled multiple times that's right. by different human beings. And, and that's a, each one of those learns a skill. And in each one of them learning a skill, uh, they get to feed their family, feed more than just their family probably, and they get to be able to pass that skill on. Absolutely. And so not only do you do it in one part, it's, um, you know, Buckminster Fuller talks about um, procession and, you know, it's a right angle. Procession is an an action of a right angle and it just keeps going out and out and out and out and out and out. Um, And it's that processional value that you're creating is global it's and it's yeah if if anybody is listening to this and we know we've got quite a big audience but if any any of you who are listening to this and you don't go and buy a pair of jeans <laughs> of james and throw out another pair of jeans or don't even throw them out give them to somebody else yeah um so that they don't get totally wasted um and just change your brand because you're saving somebody from the sex trade. You're saving somebody from poverty. You're lifting up yeah, all these people. It's it's not about James getting rich sitting there. It's about yeah. it, it's about him being able to give more back. It is. And, and, you know, Adrian, I think, like, when you think about the product itself, you know, what better product could you even have to, yeah. you know, change somebody's life? We think about denim and the beauty of it and the fact that it's got this, this you know, um, unique ability to be able to, what I say, like absorb history. You know, you think about, yeah. you hear your favourite song come on the radio or it takes you back to this moment or this time um, and a memory, but genes have the same ability. And so when you think about the fact that these genes are absorbing history like that in your memories and they're in your cupboard, think about everything that's gone in like you said before. You know, these genes already have this history, this history that has changed somebody's life entirely. It's given um, the ability to our our seamstresses to give their families education to feed them. I mean, we've been collecting data on what's the real impact of one of these products for a number of years now. And we can say that by buying these genes, it flows all the way out, not just into the direct family, but out into community. And it goes so far because of the the different attributes that their workday um, has to it. And so it's not just giving opportunity to um, these women that may not have skills in this industry, um, but it's giving them living wages, which is different to minimum wages, and then a scale where they can earn more, become experts, thrive in a career. Um, yeah, and, then- and, and achieve. Uh, Achieve, yeah. I'm um, training in every aspect of the product versus a standard garment factory. You'll make one aspect only. That's all you do, and the reason is that you'll be fast at it. But 
Um, you know, we want to teach them to be the most highly skilled seamstress they can be. So they're making everything um, in that gene over a period of two and a half to three years. They'll have those skills and then they're getting educated. And the educational component of um, of this is is built into their into their work life. And um, when they come to work, they get paid, they get paid to learn. And really the, the concept is quite simple. It is, um, you know, teach a man to teach a man or a woman to fish and I'll never be hungry yep. again. And we yep. want to equip them to be successful themselves. So they're now in control of their own success or failure. We're going to give them education around things like finance, household budgeting, um, languages, healthcare, infant care, um, all these different things they're going to learn just by coming to work. But now it's up to them. And you know, the beauty in that is, and something we never expected to see from this was that when you give that to somebody and they take hold of that with both hands and they run, we have women that feel that they had lost dignity because of the tragedies that they had faced in their in their past, now feeling like they now have dignity again. They're now the high income earner in their in their family. They're now doing things like buying homes for their family. So um, wow. one particular story of a, of a young girl that lived and her family lived under a plastic sheet. In monsoon season, that's really dangerous. It's really scary. She, but mate, I wouldn't do it in... Yeah, you know, dry season. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, but you know, she's um, she's been able to build this home, and her family now live in this home, and um, you know, she's done that on her own. That we did not do that for her. Um, you know, buying a family member back, buying a sister back for a man that owned her. Like, you know, these are wow. the stories that come from our seamstresses, and to us, we could write a movie on any one of them. Um, and it's unfortunately everyday life for the forty odd million slaves around the world. You know, one of the crazy statistics I heard from um, the Walk Free Foundation report, um, most recent report just recently, was that one in every 130 women on the face of this planet is a slave. Really? One, one in 100. Yeah. One in 130. Every one in 130, one of, one of those yeah. women is a slave. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's astounding. Yeah. That, it's beyond, it's, yeah, it's beyond... That means like you think in your little circle of people that you brush up against in a day yeah. and we live in this Western country where not one of those people probably, well, there might be the odd one that exists, but not necessarily a lot. Not, not in comparison, yeah. no. Not yeah. in comparison, yeah. Um, and then we go, that would be like in a, you know, in a week we'd probably have brushed up against three, four, five women yeah. who are a slave. Who are slaves, Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty staggering concept when you when you boil it down to the realities of scale. Um, mm. You know, the other thing to point out, you know, here is that it does feel overwhelming and it does feel like we can't beat this. But, you yeah. know, that's where I see it differently. I, I believe we can beat it. I believe that it's genuinely possible. And I, and I think, you know, we're in a really unique time in history. I think this, I think it's going to be marked by in the history books as the time when things changed. It changed because, you know, we didn't just rely on the government to solve these problems. We decided that we were going to use our businesses, our personal lives, our spending behavior to to align with our values and that those values were going to be uh, those brands, those those businesses that we aligned with were going to be solving issues. And, and, and really all of that is powered by the consumer, the person yeah. buying the product, aligning their values with the companies that they buy from. And if we do that, the world will change and the government oh, won't yeah. have this overwhelming problem of poverty to address because there's enough wealth in the world for us to be able to eradicate poverty 
Um, I know that yes. sounds crazy, but there is. And, you know. It's, it's not even a necessarily a, a redistribution of wealth. It's just a, a change in, like, the rich can stay as rich as they want to be yeah. and yeah. You know, everybody in between can settle at their level. It, it's just changing a habit. It's just yeah. choosing. It's it's that conscious decision to choose something that actually has more meaning than the, the next point. I, I worked in fashion for 20 years and um, I, I used to, <laughs> bit of bit cynical about some things, but one of the <laughs> things I used to get really kind of, um, I suppose, like uptight about was we'd be designing, you know, like garments and uh, we would have a color and we'd get a color swatch through and this, this color might be let's say it's blue or it's red or whatever and there would be a shade card and we would have said this is the blue we want and um you know reds can be typically hard to get on some fabrics and stuff you know any rag trader will know these things and we would be like minutely off that shade yeah and I would have my team and they'd go oh we're rejecting that and I'd be like this is Settle, settle, settle. Sit down a second. Let's put all the colors together. Let's check our story. Does this color work? Yeah, it works. But but it's not exactly what we asked for. Yeah. I go, yeah. yeah. So let's just go back to the factory and ask what the stability ratings are and all the rest. Does it match everything else we need? Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Comes back, yes, it's okay. So we're not curing cancer here, guys. <laughs> what we're doing is clothing people. And they're spending a fair amount of money on the clothing and they don't know that we've got a swatch that is minutely different. No, no. (laughs) They've never seen our swatch that we chose. Let's move forward. We know it's capable. We we know the factories are capable. We know all this can happen. And uh, let's get this job on the road. Because if we were curing cancer, that's where we should spend the extra time. Yeah, totally. but we're talking about somebody wearing a shirt or a dress or a skirt or whatever. Mm. Let's let's get on with the what needs to happen here. And yeah. you're taking it from there to a whole nother level, which is if you spend too much time worrying about whether it's perfect when you can't when most people couldn't tell the difference, you're depriving somebody else of being fed or or their job. You're slowing up the the rate of what can happen. You do. And but- I'm not saying don't get it right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. Saying just be mindful of where you're headed. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's and look, we've made so many mistakes in in learning how to make denim. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. difficult product to produce, and um, you know, but but again, I go back to the beauty of denim and how much you know. I I particularly appreciate denim and um and love what it offers um as a product. And so I think when you take a lot of pride in the product that you're producing too, and when when you you know, when all of your design um, team all the way through to um, the seamstresses on the floor yeah. take that pride, it really shows in the product at the end. And, you know, we're, we're so proud of, of what we've been producing and creating. Um, in particular, we've used COVID to redesign everything. We've used COVID to go back and create better product than we had before. And, you know, really, yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's been so satisfying. It's really hard. It's been really frustrating. It's been really expensive, but we've got to the other end of it and we've gone, wow, like the wash recipes that we've been able to design to wash in a sustainable manner and get it to look like it's vintage and old has been a massive, massive feat for our team. And, you know, we've just got this team of dedicated, amazing, incredible people that want to see this change in the world. And I guess, you know, in a nutshell, it really comes down to the people, doesn't it? And so that's oh. 
it's not just the people in in HQ or the design team. It's the it's the seamstress on the floor, and and then yeah. beyond that, it's the retailer on the sales floor, yeah. David Jones or Nordstrom or wherever yeah. it might be selling, and and it's that person, and then eventually the person who has the greatest impact of all is that person who buys that product. And you know, on the inside of our product, there's a a, a printed message from one of the seamstresses that made that product, just saying thank you and for what that means to to her. That um, that somebody that. has bought her product, um, it, it's yeah. it's really powerful, and so we've been able to create something we believe that has meant it's important for every single person, for media, for the the retail store, for the sales associate, for the person who buys the product. Um, if one of those people in that link weren't there, this doesn't work, and so we think that's why it's powerful. I, I was going to say that's a beautiful thing as well. It's a team. It's not, yeah. um, as you say, there's there's everybody in that link makes the contribution that makes it happen. Yeah. And they, the other thing is, is clearly none of this would happen without great leadership. Oh. And um, either your wife's kicking your ass really hard or you're just running on your own. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's, she's kicking. She's pushing me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, got very, I've got a very smart, smart wife. I always say she's the brains of the outfit and um, I'm the risk taker. Well, you know, that's part of it as well. Like, I mean, you're juggling your family and all those things as well. And, and she's clearly um, passionate with what you do as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, and, and, and you couldn't do it with, without, you know, no. the support, you know, it's uh, yeah. been, she's had to make so many sacrifices. She's been, she's been the woman that's watched um, her, her friends buy homes and sell homes and, you know, and, and get to do things that we've not been able to do for the last 10 years because, Everything we have is is about this, and and our kids now grow up, and they've they've been to Cambodia. We we spent time there as a family, and um, where our factories are, and um, it's been incredible just to see the impact that it's had on us and the richness that we've been able to get out of life in other ways than what we expected. But it has yeah. been that she's had to sacrifice. So I, I I honor my wife in in the fact that she has given up a lot for um, you know trying for some to- great genes. For, for amazing jeans. Hey, she gets, she doesn't pay for her jeans, so there is a few perks. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> just, just fringe benefit tax. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's, that's it's so great. That's so, so good. When we were chatting earlier, you said, uh, I said to you, why denim? And um, you gave me pretty much the reasons you just gave. But you did add another little piece to that, which was um, the cowboy piece. Yeah. And uh, we had a little bit of a laugh because I have the same uh, driven thing. I started out many years ago. I'm dyslexic, so I'm not necessarily the greatest writer and speller and stuff, but I'm fairly creative. Yeah. And I started out designing many, many years ago before I worked in the clothing trade and then I came back to the uh, building trade or the, the design trade and building. Drawing Western towns, my dad, because I couldn't read very well, used to give me Louis L'Amour novels and um, they are like gunslinger type, you know, Western novels. And I could read them. Well, I, I made the effort to read them. I don't know how well I read them, but I made the effort to read them. And it cemented my love of... Um, cowboy and the west and uh all those all those parts of frontiers and i've I've always loved outdoors anyway and i i go usually to america every year 
and do an architectural tour. I take people on an architectural tour wow. and I do different places. But one of the places I go is Austin, Texas. Yeah. And I'm a big music fan. I'm not a musician, um, but I'm a music fan. And Austin probably is one of the best music capitals in the world, uh, without a doubt. And not only that, it's in Texas. It's a, I'm going to put this note in here. Some of my friends aren't going to like it so much, but it also votes Democrat and just because we've got a <laughs> – while, while Austin's a Republican state, yeah. Austin uh, – sorry, while Texas is a Republican state, um, Austin votes Democrat. And in saying that, it, it's uh, that they have a slogan, which is keep Austin weird, um, <laughs> which is what they say there, but they have great music. And it's cowboy. It's got yeah. uh, enough of that that it's got that really lovely Western feel to it as well yeah, without yeah. being a dyed-in-the-wool Western town. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly around there, San Antonio, things like that, a lot of hill country, really beautiful place. Yeah. Um, but, yes, the, the cowboy uh, dream yeah. and how that fits with denim. Oh, I mean, it's it's. I think it's, you know, every every little boy's dream probably, and I remember you know, having a horse as a kid and, you know, my favourite movie was The Man from Snow River and I just loved the idea that I'd be a, uh, a horseman and I'd, I'd be out, you know, pushing my cattle around one day and, um, you know, I haven't quite got there but I... Um, it's on the cards. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think life's priorities change. But, yeah, that, that idea of the freedom and the big open space and being on the back of a horse is just um, is that thing. And so, yeah, denim, is, denim represents that for me. Yeah. And me too. Yeah. So I think about I think about jeans and the character that's that's worn into them by sitting in a saddle and you know yeah yeah country life. I just love it. That that freedom life, that yeah. that that sense of freedom, that sense of um, and denim also has a beautiful thing as a fabric in the sense that it um, it's built tough. Mm, like it's yeah. built tough. It, it it is made to last. Like. If you look back at Levi Strauss sort of really inventing the gene yeah. and you look back at that whole history of that, uh, it was they were canvas. They they didn't get dyed blue for quite a few years, uh, you know, and then you look at the whole, I suppose, evolution of that. Yeah, yeah. And that story is like uh, you know, from the gold panning and everything else, but it's frontier people. It's people who took risks. Yeah. It's people who would do it hard to get to the next piece. Yeah. And they also bet it all. They they yep. they often put their whole stake out there. Everything's in the line for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. And they'd move countries for it. They would um you know, you think of uh the Chinese population that um, moved to the San Francisco area and all that based on the gold rush and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. and to Australia yeah, and to New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. All based on those big gold rushes. There were people all around the world who would travel to do those things and denim that's where it not denim didn't, but that's where uh, jeans started. Jeans started in that workwear kind of thing and then Absolutely. it filtered back through the whole cowboy thing and everything else because it was a pant that would, uh, it could hold it. It could do what it needed to do in yeah. the environment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then the fashion industry got hold of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and look where that ended up. Yeah. Well, probably, actually, probably to its detriment as much as to its... Um, benefit mm. when you consider you know the many sweatshops that make uh clothing yeah. around the world yeah, yeah. and you need responsible business people to actually pick up that mantle and clean up things mm. and and it's it's not i say it's government's job 
but it's not government's job in that sense. Government, If government has to do it, that's only because people don't have the balls and the backbone yeah. to actually stand up for themselves and do it properly in the, in the first place. Yeah, no, government only has to intervene then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got your denim going, you're selling in the US, you're selling here, you've got a good online store too, really mm. good online store. And where, where's it going next? What's the next uh, six months look like? And then let's go six months, maybe go three years. What, yeah, what are cool. we going to see from you? Well, the next six months is exciting for us because we're branching outside of denim into ready-to-wear products. And uh, the Whoa. reason the reason we've done that is that, you know, we know that we've got a really loyal customer, a customer who's been willing to put up with the delays and the challenges that we've had along the way because they want their purchase to mean something. And so we know that if we can now provide that same customer with more options to fill out their wardrobe rather than having to go and potentially shop with brands that don't um, align with their own personal yeah. values, then we can further the impact of what the brand's able to have. And so that's been a, a big move for us. That's been a COVID decision. That's something we've pushed into. We've hired an amazing ready-to-wear designer. We've just pushed in hard. And um, seeing the products that are coming through design now and the sampling that's coming through, you know, it's really exciting because when you think about denim, You've got to pair it with a with a t shirt. You've got to pair it with a blouse for a woman or a or a cool um <laughs> cool shirt cool from jacket you. or you know, like there's other cool products that we need to bring out with that. And so we've started to do that. Um so the next six months is really focused on that, really building our direct to consumer model. Um we're focusing yep. on using that online store to become much more powerful than it is. But I also um, am very committed to bricks and mortar retail. And I believe that the wholesale business is a really important part of our business. And the reason I say that um, is because I believe that retail is an important part of a community. And if you want if you want any community to thrive, people need to be able to meet together. They need to be able to go and do things together. And retail is important for that. And so I am not a disruptor that wants to increase pro- profit margins. Hold on, hold on. Did you just say I am not a disruptor in the sentence? I did. And then said, it then added something to it. Now you're a disruptor. <laughs> now start again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, I, I, I hear a lot of and talk about disruptor. This is what I'm doing next. Yeah. Well, look, I hear about I hear about entrepreneurial disruptors, and I often get put in that category. And I say, no, that's not me. Um, like that's not. That's not what I'm here to do because I think that no. the way we think about the the disruptor is often referred to when we talk about increasing profit margins, cutting out the middleman. And yes, of course, profit margins is really important. In fact, you know, the, the economic impact of any business is 33% of the business's importance, um, but yeah. only 33.33% of the business is important. The social and environmental make up that other 66%. And yeah. so for me, I say... The social isn't just the the people that we employ to make the clothing. It is the people in the communities we sell our products in. And so I remain committed, uh, much to the disgust of many advisors, to bricks and mortar. And I believe that that is a space that needs to be um, looked after um, because it's way more important than just a place you can buy a product. And um, so, therefore, I'm committed to that. So the next six months looks exciting. It sounds it sounds really exciting, like really, really exciting. There's a lot going on. When, when do you start dropping that product? When will it be out there? In December, you'll start to see some of the ready December. coming through um, and then and then January, February and onwards. We've changed our calendar. We were producing twice a year and we're going to bi-monthly drops now. Uh, the reason we've done that, you know, we're seeing the sustainability talk about, okay, less collections and, you know, produce yeah. twice a year. 
And I, I understand that for some of the big fashion houses, why you would do that. And it probably makes sense there from a sustainability point of view. For us, from a sustainability point of view, what we need to do is we need to be producing more often. We need to be giving options for people to be able to be a part of our brand versus part of a brand that isn't addressing these things. And so therefore, we've gone the opposite direction. We've decided to produce more often rather than less often. Um, more often and smaller or? Um, no, hopefully. That's, yeah. that's ho- hopefully bigger. Hopefully it's almost bigger. like a just-in-time manufacturing in the design. Yeah, in the design, yeah absolutely. So you just keep dropping. Yeah. So you've got a big commitment to design at that point and a big commitment to um, innovation and sampling and yeah. 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 So it's become that's, and that's, you know, that's heavy, that's costly. It's, um, but we see it as important because I see that the ultimate, the ultimate solution is consumerism. Actually, I think the more we buy from the right brands that, that, that address the right issues, the faster we solve poverty, the faster we solve environmental degradation that is just destroying the easy ecosystems that that we produce in. Um, so our brand's committed to that. Every time somebody buys a product, their money's going into innovating in that space on an environmental and social level. And our ultimate goal is that we create products that leave the people on the planet in a better position as a result of being created and sold. Um, yeah. And I believe that that's possible. And I believe that it's not far away. And it's not only that, it, you're already doing it. Yeah, yeah, on a social level. It's scaling it now, it's scaling it up. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of bricks and mortar, you know, like um, I don't go necessarily shopping to buy. I go shopping to be social and to look around and mm. see what there is and I actually enjoy shopping, so I'm probably one of those weird guys that enjoys it, but I used to be, you know, I'd call myself a professional shopper because I was a designer, so I needed to know yeah. what was happening. And, and that's why I only I don't buy, necessarily go buy. I go shopping, and yeah. I enjoy the energy of other people being excited and you know unsure and trying to make their decisions. Yeah. Um. I love. Uh, do you know Ivan Sharad from um, Patagonia? Yeah. Um. He he wrote a book called uh, Let My People Go Surfing. Yeah. And in that book, he just and, and also highly conscious human being. You know. Yeah. Um. He writes a beautiful point about um, their bricks and mortar retail. He says, we always buy our buildings if we can, and we don't buy them necessarily in the main strip of town because we're a destination. People yeah. travel to get our clothes. Yeah. Yeah. And we take something that needs ideally a historic building yeah. that needs refurbishment, and we redo that building and give it a, a fresh life. Yeah. And then a neighborhood springs up around where we are because people come because of Patagonia. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, and he doesn't go for all-out growth of the company. He, go, he nearly lost the company through all-out growth. Yeah. He turned around and he went, you know what, this is sustainable growth and we only need, a, I think it might be 3% a year he does or something okay. like that. It might be 6 but whatever it is, he goes, that's what we limit it to because that this company can never be rocked if we're doing that kind of growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, can't, we, we don't want the, the, the oversized growth because yeah. that could take us down. It, it and, and it's so dangerous, but it's so attractive, isn't it, all those lights? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a rhinestone cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, it is. And, and you know, success is um, all too often just measured by money, where success for you, you're measuring it by lives changed. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said to you, I'll introduce you to Paul Dunn, 
um, you know, from buy one, give one, Paul measures success by lives changed. Yeah. And he knows that takes economics yeah. to do it. Absolutely. But lives changed is his whole purpose for getting up in the morning, just the same as yours. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it, it's a beautiful mission when, when that's why you, um, you know, roll out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it makes life very, very, very worthwhile. Very worthwhile. So six years, what's that going to look like? Well, six years is... Is probably that's kind of where I'm always looking. I'm always looking way yeah. out there, and um, I get excited by the future and the possibility of what could happen. And you know, in six years' time from now, um, we're aiming at you know expanding our impact into beyond just Cambodia into other countries as well. Um, you know, our goal is that we're able to produce for many other brands. We're already producing for Karen Walker. Um, you know, we, well, she's, she's an icon as well yeah. and with the right values. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And, and, and it's for that reason that we we're producing, um, her denim and, um, we want to offer this opportunity to brands that genuinely care brands that genuinely want to make a difference. Um, not, not brands that just want to use our story as a greenwashing mechanism or a marketing mechanism. <laughs> um, we want to use the power that those brands who are genuine have in being able to change the world. And so in six years, we'll be producing for many more brands and we will scale that that right up. Um, uh, and, and in every product that we sell, it will be certified with our own uh, stamp or standard, which is called Maker Standard. And Maker Standard is there to give uh, the the customer, the person who buys that product, confidence that this product has been produced to the highest social, environmental, and economic standards, and they just need to look for one mark. They don't need to understand all the other certifications that what happens out there. They just need to look for this mark so they can go, oh, good, this aligns with my values and purchase, and then so, support that brand. So make a standard. Yeah. Um, is this yours? Yes. Yeah. And so if somebody wanted to, who has the same values, wanted to um, align themselves with Maker Standard, uh, could they come to you and say, okay, how do we get certified? Yeah. So no, we don't currently certify anyone outside of the products we produce. So the products we produce, we have a little stamp inside it. Um, But the goal is eventually, yeah, that we're able to I guess uh, look for ways to be able to help advance the fashion industry and manufacturing garment sector into producing more ethically. So, you know, we've done a range of um, different kinds of innovations which address some of the problems that we have with the auditing process of supply chains. Um, One of the first things that we've done is that um, we're told we're the first factory in the world to put a 24-7 auditing system in, which means that there's a third-party company auditing us 24-7. So no matter what, um, they are going to wow. be notified and that's through a range of different kinds of technology with sensors and, um, you know, heat sensors and all sorts of things um, that, you know, I get notified. Literally, I've been notified because somebody walked into uh, the organic chemical room um, without any PPE on. So, you know, down to that level, they're watching. And I think that is where we need to go. Um, so I can make all the claims in the world, but do you really know we're doing the right yeah, thing? Is this a great yeah. marketing story? Um, yeah. Well, we don't want this to be a great marketing story. We just want this to change the industry. And then beyond that, the auditing system of supply chain, back to the farthest point being a farm, um, rather than go and get an audit to try and prove there's not slavery there and run the risks of some of the challenges that auditing has that yeah. we can't rely on, um, we try and prove there is slavery. We we go into a region. We don't just identify the one farm or farms that our cotton is coming from. 
we're going into a region, we're looking for the issues and we've been able to pilot, just finished, in fact, a few months ago, a pilot um, and it, the pilot was just so successful in being able to look at a region, identify the challenges in the region through a grievance mechanism and then the beauty of this is now we know what the problems are. Rather than this cancel culture which we see going rampant across the world, we don't cancel anyone. We now go and work with those farmers. How do we work with the farmers? How do we address the issues? How do we educate them to be able to be part of the solution? And, you know, when you think about it like that, then you've got a real chance at changing things. You know, it's not because they're bad people most of the time. Often it's because they don't know any better. Often because this is the way it's been done. Often because I don't have the resources to be able to do things differently. That's our job. We need to work with these people. We need to show them that there's a different way, a better way. Sometimes doesn't mean our way is always the best way. Hey, there's we make so many mistakes. We're all the time making mistakes, but, but you're also the time correcting mistakes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that's the difference. You don't make a mistake, and then if it's not harming you, you run with it. No, no. if it's no, no, if no. it's harming anybody, like you go, oh, hold on, yeah, yeah. rewind, exactly. rewind. Like, yeah, that's the that's the part. Like. You know, too often, like, you think of things like in building biology and stuff, oh, yeah, well, it'll be okay. Yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. It'll be, you know, and, and there's a point where you've got to go, you know, we've had 30, it'll be okay. So we've probably got a big problem here now. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. and you can't necessarily fix everything first time out. Yeah. But you, you can certainly identify. I love that thing that you were saying about going into a region and basically case studying it yeah. and going, we can, by case studying it, we can case we can work out what's not happening here what where the slavery is and if we can work out where the slavery is then we can identify the track that makes that and then we can rewind that and do something about it yeah that is that's genius that's that's really not looking for the band-aid is it that's um that's root cause stuff. We have to. We have to get back to the foundations of the problem. And if we can get yep. back to the foundations of the problem and address it in a loving way and, and an accepting, yeah. you know, um, man, like. I'm not going to put everybody in front of the firing squad. What you're no. going to do is, is educate them to take them forward so yeah. that it, it can move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's really exciting. I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the results that we've seen so far from that particular um, program and, and then also to work with other brands. I mean, Nudie Jeans decided they'd partner yeah. with us in that. You know, like I go, what, a, what an amazing brand. What a cool brand yeah. um, that's willing to work with, it, with a, a competing denim brand. We sell it around the same price point. We're selling the same kinds of jeans. Um, you know, like I know some of our suppliers come from the same place even. So, yeah. you know, like they know that. Um, hey, we're working together because we, we, we care to solve this problem, you know, so – Something I wrote down before was um, the word values, and you've got this really lovely kind of um, line which says uh, those values are outside of mine. So you can change yours and come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But we can't do it now. Yeah. Well, yeah. unless you, unless our values align, and unless you can see the world we see the way we see the world. Yeah. Then we probably can't work together. Yeah. Um, but we can work with you to get you to the point where we can see them together. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's uh, yeah, one of the most inspiring talks I've ever had on Talk Design, I must say, especially based just on the fact that you, your own passion for making this difference and 
I often talk to people who who have different kind of vehicles to make a difference, you know, mm. coaches and, um, you know, um, charities and stuff like that. But to talk to somebody who has, you know, just a, a hard-ass product, it's denim, it goes on everybody and, you know, even expanding it from denim, um, it's about consumerism. It's not saying, oh, stop the consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's actually saying just choose the right consumerism yeah. because with that we can make this amazing impact and you can change the, if you can change the person who purchases the, the either the denim or the clothing to embrace that story, then they'll keep embracing that story and yeah. doing the thing that's the right choice that takes that 12-year-old girl from the side of the street and she never has that fear in her eyes. Exactly. Yeah. She lives she doesn't live under a plastic sheet. She lives in a home. Yeah. Yeah. And her her growth in the community allows the next person to grow in the community yeah. until we stamp out. And it's not even stamp out, it's it's um until we culturally shift. Yeah. Yeah. This Absolutely. economic mess that these people are caught under. Absolutely. Yeah. I so love it, man. I so love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's purpose stacked on top of purpose, on top of purpose. It's a mountain of purpose. Well, it takes a community, man. Like, honestly, it's, you know, it's not one person can do this. You know, I certainly can't. I'm not smart enough to do this. Um, I don't have the longevity to do this. It takes our entire team. It takes our community. It takes those people who have bought the products that we first sold, which were really crappy. And yeah. they continued to come back and buy again because they believed in it. And they've watched our product become this most beautiful product in the store. And, you know, I, I, I think it's just like it's those people. It's the retailers. It's, it's David Jones. It's Nordstrom. It's in Canada, Harry Rosen's Holt Renfrew, you know, these, the, the best yeah. department stores in Canada. And they have backed us. You know, they have gone, I want to be a part of creating solid change. And they've stood behind a brand like us to help us get that leg up, to get the exposure we need, to be able to sell more products. And the ultimate thing is that is the more products we sell, the more people we help. And it, it is really just comes down to selling products now. Mate, uh, if anybody or everybody who's listening in the audience, get on James's website. You can find it on Talk Design. Get on James's website. We will also have a code on there because James, once again, a man with amazing generosity for others. You could use the code if you want, but I'd encourage you not to. No, use um, the code. Go for it. Go for it. Go use the code. It's going to give you a fifteen percent <laughs> discount on your first purchase. Love you to use it. Hey, I, I, I don't. I, I go. You know, maybe. Use the code for sure, but if if not, just pay them the extra 15% because you know what? It's going to get another life, help change another life. Whilst he's happy to give it to you to incentivize you, if you can afford the 15%, afford it. Well, Adrian, it Adrian I love it. I thank you that you're saying that, but, you know, like one of the greatest things that people can do for us is when they buy our product is talk about it. You know, if you if you love it, if you think it's a beautiful product, um, read the pocket lining on the inside of the jean. There'll be a little message oh, yeah. in there for you. but. But talk about it. Tell people about it. You know, there's nothing greater you can do for us than to be proud of this product and and share it with your with your circle. Absolutely, and yeah, and wear it with pride and, and tell others about what you're wearing. You know, that little surprise in the pocket. Share that with everybody who um, you can. And you know, when you put these jeans on, pull your pocket out and show them this is this is the story because that will engage them at a level that uh, takes them into your product as well. Yeah. yeah. James, 
so sensational to talk to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, man. Uh, I love the passion. I love the passion. And um, I'm going to get this uh, edited and out um, sooner because we have a lot of uh, podcasts sitting in the, in the queue. Cool. Uh, I want to get this out for December. People oh, buy jeans for Christmas. Legend, man. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah, get, let's make the difference while we can, while there's gift purchases. Yeah. Let's get on with that and um, get some jeans ordered. Amen. Oh, Get some chains ordered. You're a dead, dead legend. Thank you so much. Hi, my name's Richard Petrie. And if you're a designer who's frustrated by not winning the type of projects with clients who really value great design, go to a new webinar training I'm going to give you where I'll teach you how to win higher value design projects where fees is not the number one priority. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design.